0: The Gospel Shaped Home podcast is a family discipleship resource from Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. That aims to equip you and your family to be on mission with God to the end of the street and the ends of the earth. Welcome back to another episode of Gospel Shaped Home. I'm Andy Owens, pastor of family discipleship here at Providence, sitting with my brother and friend, Scott Reiner. Scott, hey, welcome.
1: Thanks again for having me. Yeah.
0: um, Okay, we're talking about mealtimes today. We're in a uh, um, a discussion about habits of the household, a book by Justin Whitmill Early uh, meal times is our topic today. So, Scott, what are some of your favorite foods?
1: Whew, favorite foods, uh, sweets wise, I go peanut butter M and M's. Mm,
0: that's strong.
1: Pimento cheese is one of my all-time classics.
0: Okay, on crackers, on bread, on anything.
1: Uh, yeah, pretty much on anything. Cheese oh. hamburgers. Yeah. Sandwiches, croissants, mm. crackers, wheat thins. Yeah, oh, you can't go wrong.
0: No, I love Man. a good good wheat cracker with a bit of cheese on it. That's uh, good.
1: Yogurt and granola is a, a classic staple. I normally have six tubs of yogurt in my fridge at any given time.
0: Nice, nice. Um, well, I do like to uh, personally enjoy. Uh, I'm I'm something of a creature of habit. We're talking about habits here. I really like spinach, olive oil eggs together each morning four fried eggs over easy sometimes with toast sometimes with a sweet potato sometimes with avocado but man I love to get those four eggs and they're so good
1: my son just started eating fried eggs so I've just in the last few weeks learned how to make them how about that
0: yeah my kids still prefer scrambled eggs or hard-boiled eggs but um, I love fried eggs so anyway uh, we're not here mainly to talk about our favorite foods but it did seem appropriate so um Scott, he starts off this chapter talking about, you know, it's about the importance of uh, mealtimes together and conversation over the table, but he, he talks, it presupposes the idea that you do eat a meal together, and he, he refers to this idea of keystone habits. Do you want to um, help us understand what he's talking about?
1: Yeah, so a keystone habit is kind of a sociological idea. Which- Scott studied sociology in college just for... FYI. I did. So I love this kind of stuff. Um, A keystone habit is a, a habit that supports a lot of other good habits. So if you can get one habit right and locked in, it alone can affect a lot of other rhythms and habits in your life because that one habit is so central. And so a lot of times, even something as simple as, and we touched about this a little bit in the last episode, just going to sleep earlier can affect a lot of other things in your life. And he uses this idea in this chapter to talk about how simply by prioritizing mealtime and gathering together as a family around meals, how that can affect a lot of other things in your life and in your household. He references a book. Charles Duhigg. about ten years ago wrote a book, The Power of Habit. Um it's a great it's a great book, a great resource just to learn how to develop habits in your life.
0: Yeah. And- you know, food has a lot of significance in the Bible one, it's a picture of God's creative generosity um it's a picture of our need and dependence on him you know there's there's a sense of you know God humbling the Israelites uh, and teaching them through forty years in the wilderness of eating manna that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. I'm reminded of psalm one o four where it's, you know the psalmist is just celebrating God's faithfulness and uh, his providence over all creation, but it says you caused the grass to grow for the livestock, plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. And ultimately, all these things are supposed to be signposts pointing us to God himself as the ultimate reality, the one we need, the one who satisfies us. Jesus came and said, I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me whenever hunger he comes to me, whenever thirst. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of, uh, I think, biblical theological significance to food. Um, but here, you know, that he makes a really helpful, I, I think, point to kind of launch out is that it feels together, you have to prioritize communing over consuming, right? We, it's not just about getting the nutrition. Uh, I mean, God could have made getting nutrition a lot simpler and more bland and boring. That he has with the way he's created such a you know a diverse world with, with you know taste buds and so many, such a variety of food but anyway, his point is uh, it's a prime time, and we are wired by God to be able to enjoy relationship through conversation over food
1: yeah, a couple of the kind of quotes he has talking about this idea is He's seeing the difference between people who happen to live together and families who befriend each other or rhythms of conversation at mealtime. It's talking and not just consuming, but communing together that makes a family a family. Eating isn't just something we do, that putting food in our bellies that allows us to survive. It's the ritual of communing with others that allows us to thrive. Um, And then he also talks about this idea that this happens over and over again. This is why this is such a keystone habit. You think of three meals a day, seven days a week. Obviously you may be different places for lunch, but over the course of eighteen years of having a kid in your household, you're gonna have so many moments. Hundreds and thousands of moments over mealtime. And so using all the the aggregation of those moments for the sake of, you know, thinking about making disciples of the next generation and making disciples of our kids, the amount of opportunity we have, you know, we talk a lot with our family discipleship pathway time is opportunity, using those opportunities specifically at mealtime for not just having one-off spiritual conversations with our kids, but creating patterns and rhythms to have conversations over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. And and also, you know, he emphasizes the, um, the goal of food is relationship, right? Uh, says the family that wants to become friends needs to take rhythms of food and conversation seriously. And, you know, we talk about that in our family discipleship pathway too, like right? discipleship uh, requires relationship and relationships take time. And so that's that's really part of the benefit is creating uh, more and more relational context and shared experiences as a family uh, where you're honoring and loving and investing in one another. And as we're going to talk about forgiving one another because we sin against each other and you have to be patient with one another because you know, um, things don't always go like we want them to, right? And he does a good job in the chapter of emphasizing like, um you know it says don't over romanticize it like it's messy it's hard um you know it would be much more efficient just to like here there's a microwave dinner for everybody eat it on your own throw your trash away like you know the work that goes into you know the mental load of meal planning the unending work of grocery buying um the the actual work of preparing a meal and and sometimes wrangling kids there keeping kids there it's hard right it's um it, it's not an easy thing but it, uh, it can bear a lot of fruit, again, over time as these moments aggregate and build up.
1: Yeah, he, he talks a lot about how it's just such a mundane and normal thing. There's nothing remarkable about buying some groceries and cooking a, a basic meal on a Tuesday night and feeding your kids and cleaning it up, but it's, that's where life is. Life is lived in the mundane moments. and. Just, yeah, all the work that goes into those things, So, but using those mundane moments for the sake, and we'll talk about this in a future episode, a lot more of the mundane, but mealtime is mostly mundane. A lot lot of times we want to just plow through and get through it because, like Andy just said, there's so many different factors and variables that go into it. And And things
0: competing against it, right? I mean, talks about like extracurricular sports, happy hours, late meetings. They always try to compete. He says, but these the family can't revolve around these things. These things must revolve around the family, um, which I thought was so helpful. Like recognizing there's always going to, just remembering, there's always going to be some reason not to consistently prioritize a meal together, time together. So
1: he says, the magic of God's grace abounds in the places I need it the most, in the normal routines. Um, and I just think that's, you know, we talked about that a little bit last time. Just God's grace is given to us through these mundane normal moments.
0: Yeah. I think so uh, right now I'm, I'm looking at page 58 and 59 for any of you who are you know potentially going to read the book but this was a really helpful section because what he does is he kind of slows down and, and explains he kind of shows practically what he means by the the spiritual significance of these habits the li- viewing these habits through a liturgical lens like he he talks about some of the things you have to do to have a regular family meal together or, or things that they do do as a family. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it, it, there's this paragraph on the bottom page 59, it's so helpful, right? When we pass dishes, instead of, uh, you know, just diving in, like we're practicing delayed gratification, when we compliment the meal, we're practicing speaking words of affirmation or encouragement, right? When we don't criticize a meal, which is an issue in our home, we have... We have had to put up some boundaries about saying words. You cannot use the word hate to refer to any food on the table. Um, but we we were reminded when we practice the virtue of silence and that not everything we think is worth saying. Uh, we want our kids to learn that. And the table is an opportunity. You know, they, they do a version of highs and lows in their family, the early family that they call roses and thorns, which I also thought was fun. Um, but you're practicing, you know, uh, telling stories together. You're, celebrating sympathizing with each other um, but then especially when we when someone spills something when someone does something that makes someone else angry you know there's opportunities to practice forgiveness at the table and then at the end he says we when we we require people to stay at the table when they're done and don't want to stay they learn the value of loyalty of, of sticking with others um, and so I I feel like um, I was really encouraged to try to to talk with my own kids more about why the why of some of these things. Why do we? Why do I want you to stay at the table, or uh, why I want you to share highs and lows um, each night at the table?
1: Yeah, it's definitely conflicting when you have three kids under six. A lot of times, meals for us are let's just get through it and yeah. get it over with, um, and just the value of yeah, slowing down sometimes, and, and all these things that we kind of just talked about. The value of teaching our kids these things in these. Aggregate mundane moments.
0: Yeah. And, you know, he, ha- he has some practical tips like no phones at the table, not even in pockets, which I think is wise and for obvious reasons. But I was like, even for our own family, I feel like we have lately not been as intentional to value the conversational opportunity. And so I, I realized like, I have a couple children that I need to tell to stop bringing books to the table because it's like any spare moment they have, like they're engrossed in a book. And I'm happy that they like to read books instead of, you know, do other things. But still, at the table, we want to uh, focus on one another and serving one another through love. Okay.
1: So then the kind of second half of this chapter, Mm -hmm. uh, he focuses on this idea of hospitality and uses this tagline that the household is more than the nuclear family. And if we felt like we could probably have a whole episode just talking about this idea of using mealtime to bring other people into your home, practicing ordinary hospitality. Uh, you know, just the idea of Romans 12, 13, verse me and Andy were just talking about, seek to show hospitality. Don't just look for convenient moments to have somebody over and show them how awesome you are and how great your house is and what a great meal you can prepare, but to seek to show it and letting other people into the mess of your life and the mess of your home. And yeah. you know, he says, you know, the mess during mealtime is one of the primary ways where we see the mess of our house because it's it's dirty and it's messy and there's food on the floor and there's dishes to be washed and
0: well I I was struck um afresh with that when you mentioned that verse Scott that uh it doesn't say show hospitality. It says seek to show and it's like pursue showing hospitality. Run after this. It's a it's a it's an intense word and the original it's the word for persecuting. Like it's to uh with a zeal Seek to show hospitality, right Zealously um open your home to people uh and and so I love the um this idea that when we create the habit of meal times together where we're and we're cultivating a pattern of investing in household and one another and other people around the table, it creates something that we can invite others into right and and he says um in transition to this section he says the family may be the beginning of our parental mission, but it's not the end of it. And, you know, we say regularly when we talk about family discipleship here at Providence, we say uh it's it's making disciples in and through the home, right? Parents have a mission to um to their children, but families together can be on mission to neighbors and to nations, right? And so just recognizing Hospitality is a key and primary way that we can do that. We can bring other people into these rhythms that are spiritually significant by inviting them into our home.
1: You know, he he talks about the mealtime is for communing, and that's the first half. He kind of focuses on that within your family, how you commune as a family, but also using mealtime as a way to commune with others, neighbors, friends, people in your life group, people in the church, and you have to eat together and just using mealtime as a way. To commune, and you know, there's a lot of stuff out there these days in kind of our post-COVID culture of just the epidemic of loneliness. You know, one of my favorite stats—I didn't tell Andy this one—that loneliness is as lethal as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. That's oh. what that's what the data shows. And so, and that we just have this issue post-COVID of people feeling lonely and not being in relationship, and so using mealtime as a way to bring people into relationship and creating community um, together um
0: we received some uh unsolicited uh posters this week uh to help kids stay safe from covid and and one of the things on there was uh it says don't share it's like real simple language but it's don't share and and that like that is one of the kind of unfortunate implications of this season that we've been through is, is that, that people are one encouraged to remain distant and and so, yeah. Uh, early on, I remember an article: be physically uh, so physically distant, not socially distant. Right? Like you may need to stand far away from someone, but don't be isolated from people. You need to um, you need to enjoy communion, fellowship with people. Um, his
1: his previous book he wrote before this one of his encouragements and points was you should have at least one hour of conversation with a friend every week, and you know mealtime is the easiest time to do that. And so, prioritizing relationship and community. Simply by having real yeah. conversation with somebody every week, and no greater place to do that than like around the meet. dinner table. Or if your schedule doesn't allow for that, you know, meeting a friend for lunch during the work week.
0: Yeah, he says on page sixty-two, the table is a place where we turn strangers into friends. So, and you know, uh, he does offer a really helpful kind of maybe correction in that hospitality is not entertainment, right? It's not entertaining someone where you're trying to. Um, you know, give them a really comfortable, pleasant experience at best, or at worst, trying to show off your ability to, um, you know, to host or whatever, but rather it's just opening the door. It's welcoming someone into your life, however messy it may be, um, and letting them enjoy
1: communion with you. Yeah. This has been really helpful for my own family, and my own kids, is just trying to let other people into our home. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that we're trying to say one of the values that we're trying to instill in our kids is that family is bigger than the five of us. And so letting other people in, and it's been so sweet to see my young kids and we say, hey, so-and-so's coming over for dinner. What, What are their kids' names? Do they have kids? Who's coming over? How do we know them? Showing them that, hey, church isn't just this thing, specifically when we have people from Providence over to show them, hey, church isn't just this building we go to where we attend a service and go to these classes. Church is these people and these relationships that we know and we interact with. And we want to be a part of their life. And one of the easiest ways to be part of their life is by sharing meals at the dinner table together. Yeah, that's
0: good. Any last thoughts, Scott, from this chapter that, you know, just feel like were really helpful or anything that you would want to share with the listeners?
1: Yeah, I, I think practically, you know, we talked a little bit, but you know, practically, how do, you, how do you do this? How do you make mealtime a place of communion and not just consumption? How do you help teach your kids this? And so one of the one of the easy steps to take is you have to budget for it. It's going to cost more money to have people over for dinner. It doesn't have to cost that much more money. You can it's not like you we're talking messy and real life. It's not like you got to fix five course meals, you know, I've seen encouragement use paper plates, you know, serve them leftovers like or sur-
0: do the same thing every like if you're going to have a standing um hospitality night like do spaghetti every time or do chicken and rice or something every night. Yeah. You know, we, something simple. Yeah. Our
1: family, when we have people over, there's pr- probably one of three or four things we have. And we kind of just cycle through them. A lot of times there are meals we can throw in the freezer and pull out for when we need them. And, um, and it's been awesome for us. Like we're kind of intimidated a lot of times, like this isn't that nice of a meal. And some people are just blown away by like, Hey, it's a meal. I didn't have to cook. It's a chance to get out of my house. And that is a lot better than a great meal. Um, Because that's not the point. The meal is not the point. The relationship and community is the point. Um, Yeah, I think another point of, of application is a lot of times we're thinking, we're always looking for somebody to ask us to do this. Man, it would be really cool if somebody invited me over. And it very much would be. And a lot of times the encouragement is, hey, do for others what you would want to have done for yourself. And you'd be the one to go ask somebody. So. Embrace the awkward of just finding somebody in the lobby at church on Sunday and somebody that you have built a little bit of a relationship with and just saying, Hey, love to have you guys over for dinner sometime. Let me get your number. Like it's kind of awkward, but very rarely is something to say, Hey, I don't want to do that. Like people are normally very eager and willing to do that. I think especially in this season we're in. And so just embrace the awkward and find somebody, you know, pray about it. Hey, who is somebody we kind of know that we'd like to get to know better. Yeah. And just ask them.
0: And and I would say for families, this is gospel-shaped home, right? It's primarily for families. Um, you know, you have tremendous opportunity to invest in people in a different uh, season or stage of life as well. You know, so maybe it's a college student or a, you know, a young adult or, um, you know, someone who's a single person. It doesn't always have to be someone who has kids the same age as your kids, right? And he actually tells a story in the chapter of, This single guy that they started inviting over regularly, he became Uncle Drew to his kids, and um, and just recognizing that it's uh, um, yeah, it's an opportunity to uh, to for the blessing to flow outward. Right, we're blessed in order that we might be a blessing, which is coming right out of Genesis twelve. So, um, practically in our family, we um, we do try to really consistently have dinner together. Um, We we actually print out simple daily routine. And put it under our plastic like table cover thing uh, above the cloth table cover under the plastic one so that I can read it without having to take it out. It's right there in front of my spot. We can you know say the verses together, sing the song together we normally we sing other uh, songs at times at the table. Um, we have a few blessings that we sing, the doxology or some alternate version of the doxology before we pray um. I really liked the idea of lighting a candle at dinner every night that he referenced and they say Christ is light when they do it and I think you said that when you were a kid your family yeah. lit a candle right my,
1: my parents got that idea like when they were newly married and I grew up every night lighting a candle and
0: Do you do it with your kids or no Not
1: Come regularly on. no but we read this chapter and I I told my wife I was like man this is exactly what I grew up with we didn't say Christ is light but like it is that picture of Yeah it's a great picture and Yeah um Yeah. It's very good. One of the things that the Owens family does that I've seen when I try to schedule meetings with Andy sometimes is it'll pop up on his calendar. He has on his calendar reserved family hospitality night. So they have a space. I'm sure you guys It doesn't happen every single week at that time, Um, nor could it. But they've built into their calendar, hey, this night is reserved for family hospitality. And if you don't reserve it and block things off in your schedule, a lot of times stuff happens and they don't get crowded out. So just. Yeah reserve in a space to say, Hey, Tuesday night, hospitality night or Friday night or Yeah. Whenever
0: Speaking of something else that I'm not doing a great job of currently, but I have on my calendar is uh daddy dates, which are Saturday morning breakfasts early, like seven, seven thirty AM and that's normally McDonalds, uh just because it's cheap and my kids like it and it's, you know, it's not the healthiest breakfast, but it's a great time to go and sit with the kids, uh well, individually. I normally just take them one at a time and we uh, we'll talk and um, read a book sometimes together or sometimes do some activity afterwards but
1: yeah that's use, another using time for a relationship that's right I think last thing I'd say that's been helpful for us a lot of times people with kids my stage of life young kids it's a lot harder to go places and do things and be involved oh, yeah. in things
0: restaurants are become very difficult uh, so, yeah, I mean kids. we
1: just don't go out to restaurants it's chaotic costs too much yeah. it's harder to stay out late at events but bringing people into our home we can experience community, relationship, hospitality. My kids are still, for the most part, in bed at the same time they normally would be. Other people get to see us parent a little bit and kind of see what our life looks like. Be a part of family worship sometimes, and yeah. we're not having to drag our kids out till nine or nine thirty, but we're still able to feel like we're connected to the body and be in a relationship with others. Yeah. And we're not, you know, hurting our kids at all. And
0: well, uh, thanks, brother. This is helpful. Uh, I would just say to you, our listeners. Um, this uh, there's tremendous uh, potential in in regular, consistent conversation over meals, uh, both within your own nuclear family and bringing others in uh, and beyond the, the walls of your home. So I hope you're encouraged. I hope you ultimately are encouraged to remember and feast on Jesus, the bread of life, and thankful that you tuned in, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Scott, thanks for joining, buddy.
1: Yeah. And I'd say too, if you want a free copy of the book, you can email providence.kids at pray.org. Tell us where Andy takes his kids for breakfast and we'll give you a free copy of Habits of the Household.
0: Oh, wow. Nice. All right. Thanks, guys. Blessings. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gospel Shaped Home Podcast, produced by Providence Baptist Church of Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and resources from Providence, visit us
1: online at pray.org. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on the Apple Podcasts.